Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network. Heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Your source for college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide. founder of the Athletic Scholarship Corporation, found on the web at www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com and also the ASE Sports Radio Network. Uh, before we get started here, I wanted to do the legal disclosure. Today we have a JUCO coach on, uh, but in any fashion for those NCAA folks and for uh, on behalf of Coach Steve Brody here, he is not endorsing any product or service. We're simply doing an educational format. Um, and so now that we got that out of the way, Coach, uh, Coach Steve Brody on from Oakton Community College. Welcome, Coach. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, can you give a little background on, aside from what's out there on the, you know, the athletic website? I know you're Coach of the Year, and, and you know, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about you as a coach and as a person? Um, well, I, I grew up and, and have spent most of my adult life uh, in and around the Chicago area. Uh, I played uh, I played high school in the Chicago area, uh, and I played my college ball at uh, Northern Illinois University, uh, which is about an hour, a little more than an hour away. Uh, I lived out there for quite a while and, and then came back here uh, and I've coached high school, state championship at Evanston High School, and uh, and now we, we built what we think is a pretty successful program at Oakton. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of my background. Now going back and coaching high school in Chicago is, and I'm not just saying this to appease you coach. It's, it's my favorite city. I'm calling, uh, and, and located in Cleveland, Ohio, it's where I grew up, but I played ball out in Chicago, um, and love the city, lived at the Knickerbocker for about half of the year, just a great city, great people. Um, and I'm familiar with Evanston and, and that community. Now going back and coaching, um, you coach soccer, obviously, correct? Yeah, I coach uh, girls soccer at Evanston. What was it like, um, and I know that wasn't that long ago, I'm not dating you, coach, but how long, you know, what's the difference do you see as a head coach in high school in the expectations with recruiting back then and today? Uh, it's, it's quite different, and I, I think back to, to my time as a player, uh, when I played in high school and played in college and how the game has changed since then. Uh, and it was during, you know, it was kind of in the middle of that period from high school to college uh, when I was coaching at, uh, at, at the high school level. And it really has changed. Uh, the game has changed. Uh, players are bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, the coaching is better. My high school coach was an NCAA wrestling champion, uh, had never played soccer. Um, I did most of my soccer learning when I got to college, not before. Um, and so uh, it really is a different world with uh, with the club with the the club system. Uh, the players uh, at the high school level uh, are a lot more uh, have a lot better soccer IQ uh, and a lot more in tune with uh, with playing uh, a better game technically, tactically, uh, fitness wise. So uh, it really is uh, it really has changed. Uh, and and in terms of recruiting, um, it's because there are so many more programs now particularly on the women's side, 
it's uh, it's certainly become more competitive for coaches to go out and recruit, and so there's a lot more activity from the college coaches because everybody's out looking for the best talent. Uh, and and when I was in high school, there were less programs, Division One, Two, Three, uh, on both sides, uh, men and women, uh, and so it is certainly a lot more competitive as a coach looking for players. Now, I've been doing the, the recruiting and consulting side for this will be the 13th year coming up. Uh, and what I've seen dramatically, I agree with you 100% in being a former player. These kids are what used to be the parade All-American top player. That's the mainstream kid now. And it's just a different culture, a different expectation. From a budget standpoint, I know you're at a JUCO, which is still is very high-level soccer. There's some outstanding programs in your network, in your conference, that are, you know, there's international players, there's players that move on to the highest level in sports. What's the, the budget or the expectation of the, of the universities for you guys at the junior college level as far as recruiting? Well, we're an anomaly. Um, you know, we've, we've, built, we've built a school that, that's got a national reputation, and we've been competitive nationally for, for quite a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we've done it with one of the smallest recruiting budgets in the country for, for Division One junior college. Uh, and so for me personally, as opposed to globally, for me personally, the challenge is uh, every year of trying to retool and, and put a nationally competitive team together without the ability to to successfully go after international players on a regular basis is pretty uh, it's, it's challenging. It's it's an extreme challenge every year. This year, uh, it's it's a strange year because we've had uh, we've had more success going into the international market and finding quality players that can afford to come and play at Oakton. Uh-huh. Um, it's a lot of school, a lot of Division One junior college programs have. 10, 12, 14, 16, up to 18, which is our limit, up to 18 full scholarships, tuition, fees, books, room, board. Um, Oakton is a little different. We're, other than soccer, uh, men's and women's soccer, everything at the school is Division II. Uh, and, and just like an NCAA, Division II is limited to tuition, fees, books. Uh, but we're, we're really an underfunded Division II program. Uh, and so, uh, again, you know, it's quite a challenge to go out and find the quality players every year and put together a competitive program. But we, we seem to have found, uh, uh, you know, uh, found a way to make that happen. We found uh, a program, a recruiting program that's, that's been successful for us. Not to toot your own horn, uh, what, what do you think the main ingredient of your recruiting uh, success is? I mean, obviously, having a winning program helps on the surface, but you have to close these guys and the, and the family to come to your program, which is a big task. We, I, I laugh about it. We like to, I say, well, we've got a great coaching staff. That's what it is. But um, we, we work really hard as a coaching staff. Um, uh, there are a lot of coaches philosophically that, that have a set system. They'll play that system. They're looking for players to fit into that system. Um, and with us, uh, we're looking for players who can play. And we usually don't even figure out what system we're going to play until uh, into the preseason in August. Uh, so we, 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 our philosophy has been to look uh, for, for athletics, uh, athletically 
uh, talented kids, kids who are athletic, kids who are uh, technically sound, kids who have a soccer IQ and a good, uh, you know, a good pedigree, meaning that they played competitively at the club level or at the high school level. Uh, and we go and look for kids uh, in places where not a lot of coaches are going. Mm-hmm. We do majority of our recruiting um, at high school matches, both on the women and the men's side. And most coaches now, even the, the, the top junior one, uh, junior college division one coaches are out traveling the country at showcases. And I just don't have the budget to do that for me or my staff. And so um, we, we go to places that a lot of people don't and, and we're able to find uh, high quality kids uh, who aren't in that, in that big money club system. How important are, I don't want to say recruiting services, but just getting information from sources that you trust or over the years that have provided you data on players, video transcripts, you know, just a complete package. How, how instrumental is that in, in, you know, getting information and in contacting kids? It helps. Um, I wouldn't say it's the core of what we do. Um, uh, for a lot of schools, it is. Uh, players need to understand, parents need to understand that, uh, that the recruiting services are a tool, one tool, and that most of those recruiting services, and I'm not trying to get them on my bad side, I use them and I like them. Um, you can do, uh, parents and families that don't have the resources to use those can do everything they do on their own. Uh, they can put videos together. The highlight videos aren't uh, something we recruit off of. It's right. something that that's our interest to recruit. Right. Uh, and, and so if we see a good video, that's not the end of it. We don't say, okay, let's go get that kid. Uh, it just gives us an idea that, that maybe they're a kid that might fit our program and we want to see more. Uh, so uh, parents can do without it, but uh, I certainly do use it, particularly in the international market. Uh, again, our recruiting budget, I, I don't have the ability to go overseas at all. Um, I don't have the ability to go across country at all. Uh, and so uh, the recruiting services are critical in our, in our, um, uh, in our look to, to try and get international students that are uh, international students and, and, and players that, that are of a high quality. Uh, and so, again, we use them, uh, but parents don't need to be dismayed if they can't if they can't afford it or choose not to. And I agree with you. And it's funny sitting here and, and being the CEO of an organization with multiple offices that has done this year after year. The, the bottom line with with our industry in, in marketing these student athletes is it's it is a piece of a big puzzle. You have to be out there in in the camps and showcases and training and diet. It's if you want to play at a high level. You've got to do a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts in this wheel. And we're just a simple communicator of, a, of the package. And we can't make someone more than what they are. So I think your comments are valid. And, and obviously the data does help. The more information you can get at a click of a button. What we find is a lot of student athletes or parents that are out in the, you know, the club circuit or they're traveling, they're too busy to do a lot of that legwork and look for what schools and to package information. So that's why we find a lot of those high level kids, you know, seeking help from us. But, um, you know, looking at the international market, it's just expanded for us. Uh, There's a lot of just high level kids and I know it's more expensive for them because they're not going to qualify for aid. Um, How many international players have you in your program in your tenure? Have you actually coached? 
this this coming year, 2016, is going to we're going to have the most that we've ever had. Uh, uh, we've got uh, a player from uh, we've got uh, one player from France, one from Norway. Uh, we've got one coming from Denmark, but he's a U.S. citizen. Uh, we've got um, uh, a couple of Nigerian players um, uh, and um, a Canadian and an Australian player right now. Uh, and we're still got a couple internationals that we're still talking to. And so, you know, having, you know, maybe half a, half of our lineup, maybe five or six kids on the roster that are internationals uh, is the most we've ever had. Uh, and uh, I've had uh, a couple of kids from the UK one year, and, and it's been sporadic. One one international on this year. Last year we had two internationals. Uh, we, we we aren't able to afford to stock our team with them, uh, and uh, um, most of them can't afford to come and play for me. Uh, but again, it doesn't keep me from doing the legwork and and trying to get those quality kids into the holes that we have. Now, when do you start? There's a there's two phases in recruiting. I call it, and you may agree or disagree. But I, I one early stage I call it the evaluation period, and then you have the active recruiting period. When do you start? In my definition, your evaluation of players start gathering information and just quietly looking at them without them knowing. When do you start that process? Um, so us, because uh, I, I've been to uh, you know. More showcases that I can that I can count and and, and coach more uh, more of those showcases and combines uh, and every time they've got me on a panel a recruiting panel I start with a question and I say all right everybody everybody who's a, a, a junior a sophomore a freshman raise your hand and you know most of the room has their hand up I said okay of you keep your hands up those of you whose goal it is to go to a junior college keep your hand up. And they go down. There's no one hand up. And I say, and I tell them, that doesn't bother me at all because quite a few of you are going to end up playing for me or some other junior college. It shouldn't be your goal when you're a freshman, a sophomore, or even a junior to play at a junior college. Your goal should be higher. But for a lot of reasons, some financial, some academic, some family-oriented. Uh, there's a there's a, a myriad of, of reasons why people come to junior college, and so our evaluation stage is ongoing. If we see a freshman, a sophomore, a junior that catches our eye, particularly in our area, geographically in our area, um, we keep track of them. Uh, however, our active, what you call the active, the active recruiting stage, we don't do until late junior year, mostly senior year. That's when players generally realize that they're either not going to get the offer at the schools they thought they were, or for some of those other reasons that I mentioned before, junior college is a good route for them. Uh, and so most of our recruiting on the men's and the women's side is done in the senior year. Do you think more of those prospects are kind of trickling down into your hands because of inability to comply with NCAA requirements, or do you think your kind of your program, like most JUCOs, are breeding ground to go to the four-year university? Uh, it's both. Um, we, we've had we've certainly had our share of players uh, who couldn't get through uh, the NCAA clearinghouse. Uh, and uh, but but there's so many more um, and and uh, in terms of numbers, there's so many more players that come to us for other reasons. Uh, and some of them come because they didn't get 
uh, that offer or that luck from the schools that they were looking at and they thought they could play at. Some of them simply because they're staying home and helping their family put food on the table. Uh, some of them can't afford to go to the schools that they got offers from. Uh, and, you know, so there's a, there's a thousand different reasons. Every, every player, every student athlete's got a different story. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've had our share of kids that have gone on and played at division one schools. Uh, and we've had our share of kids that have gone on and maybe not played at those schools, but have gone to, you know, Northwestern's university of Chicago, uh, those high academic, uh, standard schools. Uh, and so, you know, the, the old, stereotype of, of a junior college player or a junior college student being someone uh, who, who didn't have the grades to go anywhere else really is so far from true these days that it's uh, that it's it's not even valid anymore. That's a, a great answer. I know you get kind of a, a mixed bag on, on why people are there. Now, through your recruiting, I know you don't have a huge staff and compliance officers and, and you know, a big-time D1 program. But how, how do you use social media? Do you actually, when you really get into that, pass the evaluation and actively recruiting and starting to measure the character of a student athlete, do you use social media to, to, to gauge that, what their character is? Um, more and more, it's a critical piece of what coaches do. Uh, we, we certainly can't do the vetting that Division One programs can do because of the staffs that they have, uh, uh, the people uh, that they have at their disposal, mm-hmm. um, particularly in their compliance areas, but also in, in terms of, you know, full-time coaches. Our coaches are, are, are part-time coaches, and so uh, I do um, – Usually when it's when when I see a red flag, either behaviorally on the field, off the field, uh, or I get a sense from talking to a player or their family uh, that it's something we need to do, we do it. But we we just don't have the resources or the time to vet every recruit. Uh, on social media. More and more, it's becoming a critical part of uh, what we do during the season even uh, as we're tracking our players and what they're doing, uh, particularly those that don't seem to be uh, either fitting in or performing well academically or or adjusting to college well. Uh, We we do look at social media and what's going on there and see if there are any hints to help them. And it's more relevant than ever. And obviously at the large... uh especially when you get into like football recruiting and basketball, you see it really big because the media has got really embedded into the culture of, of those sports and, and soccer is huge, obviously international. And um, I remember it in, in the nineties, just being the fastest growing sport and watching it develop. And uh, it, it's been a really, you know, sight to see. I'm a football guy, but obviously we do soccer recruiting. I have a panel of coaches that played at, at you know, the MLS level. So it, it's interesting to watch it. And even on the recruiting side to watch how competitive it really is. Um, what's the core as you recruit and look at players? What are what are some of the core attributes that you look at and try to gauge when you make a decision on who's on your on your squad? Well, academics is big for us. Even uh, any and and I try to get recruits to understand this. Uh, most of them come to our program looking to move on to four-year programs, and we've been very successful at placing our kids in four-year schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I tell them that, you know, I I never have and I never will lie to a four-year coach about a player or even mislead them in the slightest way because then they'll never talk to me again. And part of my job is to have uh, those four-year coaches trust me 
uh, and want to talk to me about our players. Uh, and I tell students that generally the first question that the four-year coaches ask, because they know I wouldn't call if they weren't good players, is what are their grades? And so first and foremost, we're looking for kids who not necessarily are great high school students, but are willing to make a commitment to be a solid college academic. Um, and so that's, that's a critical attribute. On the soccer side, I, I, I think it's the same with me as, as probably any coach. We're looking for soccer players. We're looking for people, and if you go through those, you know, who have a technical uh, uh, proficiency, who are tactically aware, uh, who have a, a good soccer IQ, uh, and, and some of those intangibles that we always look for, that sense uh, of what's going on around them, the ability to find that hole or to find that player uh, in space, uh, those kind of those kind of things, and, and and I don't think it's much different than any other college coach in the country or something. What would be your best training advice, or you know, you're dealing with some kids that you know maybe aren't at at, at clubs and, and camps and just don't have the the fiscal resources to to go to all the premier camps. So, what, what would be some things that maybe they could do on their own at at, at the high school or facility wise to help hone their skills? I'll tell you, if you don't mind, two quick stories. One is that I tell kids in evaluations at the end of their first year, every year there is a, a large group that I say, you need to become friends with the ball, either again or for the first time. And what that means in some countries around the world is that they're carrying something that's around with them at all times, even if it's not a soccer ball. Mm-hmm. And when they have free time, they're, they're juggling on their own. They're kicking the ball. And... Uh, and I tell them, you don't need a uniform. You don't need a team to train with. You don't need anything in order to to ramp up your technical ability and to work on your touch. Uh, and, and in this country, uh, with the club system the way it is, uh, and the pressures to be in the good club or do that, uh, kids forget that they don't need a club and they don't need a uniform on in order to train. Uh, and the second thing I tell you is a, a story from the high school level, many years ago, I got I got quite a few people mad and ruffled quite a few feathers because I had a kid that came in and asked me, and we usually we did evals at the at the high school level as well. And I said, and usually I did it individually. And one year I said, you can all come at the same time. And I and I literally said, and this wasn't a varsity squad, but I said, you all can quit your clubs. You can stop going, stop waste, stop wasting your money. Everybody buy a ball from now until the next season, juggle the ball every day. Dribble the ball on your own every day. Come back next year and we'll be a better team. And you'll be better players individually. Because we, again, a lot of players have forgotten that the touch, the simple pass is the foundation uh, of the game and that the cute touches that they see on TV come from players who can do everything else. And sometimes all they want to learn is tricks and all they want to learn is how to freestyle. Uh, and they forget that there's a foundation that they need to build. And so that would be my advice. Don't forget to be friends with the ball. Don't forget to spend time with the ball. Well, you see the international players and, and some of the economic, uh, you know, hurdles that they encounter and, and we see some video and it's literally a sandlot and they're just, like you said, working with the ball. And it, it's, it's similar to basketball. It's like going out to basketball and shooting threes all day and not doing anything else. 
and thinking that you're just going to dictate the flow of a game. Ironically, you look at the NBA and see Steph Curry, you'd probably argue that comment. But um, you see some international players, and there's no gloss and glitter, and they're just out there working until the, the sun goes down. And they're great players at a far advanced level, and they don't have half of the technical and all the high-end training techniques that you see here in the U.S. Uh, I think it's amazing. Yesterday, I literally uh, had my six-year-old in the car, uh, and he's you know as a six-year-old, the, the the team is important, and being part of the club and having that jersey is very important. And we we're sitting in a parking lot, and I looked across the street, and I saw four or five kids playing in an alley. And I looked at him and I said, Jack, look across the street there. Do you see those kids playing in the alley? They don't have any uniforms on. They got long pants on. They don't even have cleats on. I said, and that's where you learn how to play the game. And yeah. he's, too, he's too young yet to understand that. But I want him to see that. And I'm glad that I'm, I'm able to drive around Chicago and, and, and pull into a parking lot and see that because that's, that's how the game develops. That's where it's going to develop. And I think in the suburban markets, you see everybody's in the club and the uniforms and spending money. And then you get into the demographics like Chicago and the city, you see a totally different work ethic and expectation. I mean, there's a humbling experience to watch people in, in New York and Chicago and big cities. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. I've seen it in, in, metal, in many sports and recruiting. Just, you know, they're... They're humble. It is what it is. They're, they don't have a lot, and they're just working on their core skills. Yeah, and some, uh, unfortunately, some that, that really uh, have have a, a foundation to be able to be very good players uh, have challenges in their lives that make it very difficult for them mm-hmm. to compete with the with the kids who have the money to to get that experience at the club level. Uh, and literally, when you see, you know, it's. It's, it's humbling to me uh, when I go out and, and talk to a recruit who I saw and saw something I liked and find out that at 16, um, he's literally uh, contributing to put food on the table as of his family. Uh, and, and it takes you uh, to a point, uh, you know, it humbles you to a point where you, sometimes you have to get back and remember what life is like for some people. Sometimes our school is in the suburbs. Sometimes it's easy to forget mm-hmm. uh, what pressures some some of these kids have at 16, 17, 18, and how difficult it is for them to even envision going to college. Yeah, and, and so, and when they get there, they probably really succeed because of work ethic. And 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 usually there's there's a big there's a high pressure to succeed because of what they've given up to get there. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a, a segment in closing here, and I appreciate your time greatly. I call it the penalty kick. And um, looking back, we'll start with your toughest encounter as, as a high school player. I mean, what was the toughest thing that you can recall going through? It was a pivotal moment. You say, you know, this is just – this is unbelievable. Where, where were you challenged? Well, as I, I alluded to earlier, uh, I had a high school, uh, the head coach at my high school was an NCAA wrestling champion, and the, and the assistant coach was the baseball coach. Uh, and so the challenge was we, um, that we had to learn how to coach ourselves in soccer uh, because coaches really weren't soccer people. And back then, that was pretty common. 
Um, and uh, to be able to even think about about going to a Division One school and playing at the Division One level uh, was uh, was in some respects unthinkable. And so my the challenge was that I felt like I had to work harder than anybody else mm-hmm. um, to to try and make that dream come true. Uh, and uh, and everybody at the school who wanted to even compete, we weren't a particularly successful high school program, uh, and. So everybody who wanted to to, to play better, uh, we had to do it ourselves, and we had to work harder than those kids, you know, that were that were playing club or had or had better coaching at the time. Now, what about as a coach in, in the college level? What are you, you know, looking back at that same question as a college coach that that challenge that you encountered? You remember? The biggest challenge was uh, when I started at the college level. Uh, uh, Oakton was one of the weakest teams around. Uh, and we were the um, we were the whipping boy for every program in the Chicago area. And the biggest challenge was to get high school coaches to take our vision seriously, and to get the administration to take our vision seriously. Quite frankly, um, uh, when I when I interviewed interviewed for the job, I said I want to build a nationally competitive team. Uh, and I want to compete for a national championship. And the athletic director who hired me laughed at me. <laughs> Is he still there? <laughs> well, he retired a year later. Um, <laughs> it was it was the kind of thing that was the the, um, the culture of the school was uh, put a team on the field, just get enough players to finish your schedule. Uh, and 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 I said, if that's all you want, don't hire me because you got the wrong guy. Um, and so getting the administration to take us seriously and then to take the, the high school coaches in the area to, to buy into what our vision was, yeah. which was not somewhere where you dumped bad players who couldn't play anywhere else. Yeah. It was if the best player can't come and play for me, there's probably nobody else we want. And it took quite a few years to be able to get the high school coaches to, to understand what we were looking for and what we were doing. Final two questions. Um, what is your best advice to parents, you know, maybe the overzealous or the one that's just really relaxed and not involved, what would be your best advice to parents uh, in handling this recruiting process? Don't forget that your child is the one going to college. You can't do it for them. Mm-hmm. And college just don't want to see kids whose parents do everything for them. Mm-hmm. Those aren't the kind of players or the kind of people that they want. Uh, you, it's your child's decision. You have to be a critical part of that. Uh, as a parent, um, but don't forget to let them run the search. Let them do research. Don't do it all yourself. Don't write the emails. Don't write the letters. Um, make sure that that you you give you have some perspective and you let them do that. What's your best advice? And it might be the same thing to the student athlete. Yes, it, it kind of is. This is your this is your life. Take charge of it, but. Uh, maybe the best advice for them is what I call the biggest lie uh, in recruiting. And that is, if you're good enough, the coaches will find you. <laughs> and, and that's a lie. Yes. Uh, you have to market yourself. Yes. You've got to go out and do research on schools. You've got to uh, contact those schools. You've got to be persistent and consistent in communicating. Uh, you've got to be adult-like in communicating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my advice to them is 
don't buy into the idea that if you're good enough on the field that they're going to find you. You need to market yourself. Coach Brody, I greatly appreciate your time and congratulations on continued success. And, uh, you know, again, I'm really humble that you, you joined us today and it was great advice. Thank you very much. I appreciate being on and, and I appreciate you having me on. Uh, look forward to uh, continuing the relationship and, and, and maybe we'll get on again and talk about a national championship we won. All right. Thanks, Coach. Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network. Heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide.